bitching. Yeah, and we're bitching today. <laughs> I'm Steve. And I'm Byron, and I'm bitching. I'm bitching. I, I am so pissed at goddamn Facebook, I, I'm ready to take them down. They did it again. They censored us again. They did. And, and, and if I get rid of Facebook, then I have no way of contacting all my old friends. I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, good old, what's his name? Zuckerman has the monopoly on your old friends. Zuckerberg. Oh, who cares? Let's not get the wrong Zuckerberg. <laughs> the, uh, I, I, I definitely think Facebook is a Russian plot. Apparently so. I mean, look what they did in the last election. So, and they did it intentionally, on purpose, Zuckerberg. Yeah. And it's ongoing. Oh, yeah. It's ongoing. I was just watching MSNBC, and they're talking about uh, all the crap that uh, Trump is doing in the White House and how he's totally screwing up this country, and that he's accomplishing everything the Russians wanted was to sow dissent amongst all the American people and to tear down all our systems. He is doing that systematically in his... Uh, seemingly stupidity, you know, and because it looks like he just doesn't know what the hell he's doing. I think he does. I think he is he is purposely trying to destroy this country. I remember, and, you know, the debate where he, he clearly said, I'm not the puppet, you're the puppet. That's right. But he is the puppet. Yeah, I know. He, yeah. he is the puppet and Putin is the puppet master. We must get rid of the man, but I don't know how. Because I have no uh, set of particular skills to and do that. And just too many enablers. Too many enablers. Yeah. And I, I, I just, I, I really think that we're at a point where um, we, the smart, intelligent people in this country, who are obviously not for Trump, have to just get rid of the people who are still for him. Yeah. Well, you know, I... I did you see what happened on Wikipedia today? What? Well, in the invertebrate uh, category, uh, <laughs> there was a whole new species listed. It's called Paul Ryan. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, and, and his ilk should be dinosaurs. They should be extinct like dinosaurs. Let's put it oh, that way. Oh, yeah. Well, as long as, long as we're on the, uh, uh, the Cheeto in the White House— <laughs> I, I do have to tell you that uh, a couple of days ago, I was uh, visiting a friend of mine, and we were, uh, you know, as we uh, are wont to do, kind of like you and me, we were just talking incessantly, and he said, oh, I have to go get my mail. So I said, okay, and I, I went with him down to his uh, post box here in Vegas. We don't have mailboxes on our houses. They're they're located down the street. You have to go down the street to get yeah. them. And uh, anyway, so we walked down, and we walked past his next-door neighbor who's got his garage door open. You know, he's working on something in there. And as we're coming back, the... The the next door neighbor's little kids come running out to us, and both of us, you know, we look like grandpas anyway, so you know we're basically harmless. And the kids come out, and they're saying, "Oh, Mr. Gary, Mr. Gary, here's what we're doing in school, and we're doing this and that." And uh, did you see the the uh, crayon drawing? I did, you know, just regular kid stuff. And the guy comes out of his garage. He grabs his kids, and he pushes them back in and slams the garage door shut. And I said, Gary, what was that about? And he says, oh, Trumper. He's for Trump. He figured, he found out that I voted for Hillary. And, you know, uh. it, there, it has really just destroyed the civil discourse in this country. 
Oh, completely. Completely. I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, interviewing Bill Clinton next week uh, and, and James Patterson because they've got a book uh-huh. coming out together. And, uh, you know, I've got, I'm under strict orders, not only strict orders. I mean, I would do it myself, but uh, we can't talk politics oh, at all. Oh, jeez. Because it would turn off half the readership mm-hmm. of the magazine. So it's it and at that you know you're at that point where free speech be damned. You can't say certain things if you want half the country or less than half. Let's say you know thirty percent of the country to still listen. Oh yeah, well you know I I uh, worked as an MC in Las Vegas casinos for almost twenty years. And I recently was let go from the last casino that I work for. Uh, they're not giving me any specific reason. In fact, in, uh, the CEO sent me an email where he was just praising me to the heavens for all that I had done for this casino. Now, during that time, I was very, very careful not to make any sort of political opinion that I have known because there was one uh, casino that I worked in, uh, Harris. I won't say the name, Harris. Uh, But uh, I was doing an event there, and I was handed a note by the event coordinator, uh, and it was to remind me to tell the assemblage there that in this particular event space— there was no smoking. So I just made that, but I didn't do it like, oh, hey, guys, you know, put them out. Uh, I started off by just saying, oh, I've just uh, been handed this announcement. (laughs) I've uh, just got to (coughs) remind all of you that inside this room, there is (coughs) no smoking. And I got some big laughs, which was great. But then a short time later, this guy marches up and he's with the CEO of, of that particular casino and he walks up and the CEO says, oh, Byron, you have to apologize for this gentleman because you made fun of what? him. I said, oh, when when did I, I make fun of him? And the guy said, you made fun of me because you knew that I was smoking. I couldn't have recognized that guy, you know, if he'd been lying on the street and I fell over him. But, uh, did, wait, so did, did that I, happen? I did not. Did you fall over the guy in the street? Oh, that I fell over? Uh, No, I wanted to. Uh, But uh, I did not want to apologize. I mean, that was ridiculous. I'd been asked to make the announcement. I tried to make it in a humorous way. But the uh, CEO was giving me the look of, if you don't say that you're sorry, then we're bouncing you right at this moment. So I said, I'm sorry I offended. And then come to find out that this guy is a Republican state representative. And, you know, it's like, dude, uh, there, you know, is a a regulation. In fact, there were signs inside the room about no smoking, and uh, people were just lighting up anyway. So uh, if anybody should be apologizing, he should be apologizing. You can't say anything without somebody turning it political these days. Now, first of all, let's, let's... clear the air here after the smoking is that <laughs> okay republicans do not have a sense of humor and and the perfect example of that is dennis miller he was funny before he became a republican he's not funny anymore and you know i i knew dennis i i knew dennis uh back when he was funny and 
uh, in life for a while, he wasn't funny. I managed to, uh, uh, you know, just sort of make things lighter around the Desert Inn where I had booked him. And uh, uh, he got better. In fact, he got so much better, people started wondering what happened to him. And his uh, manager at the time, Mark Gervitz with Brillstein Gray, I. Uh, I was amused because he had completely changed so much that I called him and said, uh, Mark, we think that uh, Dennis has been abducted by aliens and replaced by another light form. <laughs> but, uh, but then, you know, uh, 9-11 happens and he falls well, I, off I, the I, deep He's end. not the only one. But I mean, I, I just think the whole country has lost its sense of humor. You know, we have gotten so far... Uh, to the point where I, I mean, we talked about this before, and I really think that this country is in a cold civil war, and it would only take one little incident to turn it into a hot one. Like, like the Oscars the other night. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> the Oscars almost <laughs> succeeded in doing that. And actually, it almost succeeded in turning me off of being a liberal because it went so far to the extreme of inclusion that they forgot that their first and foremost task was to honor movies and entertainment and to be an entertainment vehicle. It wasn't entertaining. And you know who they forgot? You know, you know who, who they forgot in, in memoriam? Uh, I was just Well, they forgot a lot of Nanette people. Nanette Fabre. They forgot a lot of people. Their, I think their answer to that was yeah. Nanette Fabre was known more for television than film. They were making the case that certain people were known more for television, so they should be on the in memoriam segment in the Emmys, not in the Oscars. It's like, oh, come on, really? Now, I had a, a friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or an old acquaintance, <laughs> an old acting teacher, who passed away a couple of years ago, and he wasn't in the in memoriam segment mentioned by name, but he was in a clip they showed with someone else who had passed away in the last year. And they recognized, I don't remember who it was, they recognized that person. And, and Louis's right there next to her, and, and they don't mention him. Which seemed kind of odd to me. I, oh, man. I, I just think, you know, of course, of course I remember Nanette Fabre from uh, Sid Caesar and that sort of thing. But I also remember her from... Um, but the movie There's No Business Like Show Business and right. uh, the uh, compilation movie That's right. Entertainment. Singing, That's Entertainment. And now, you know, you, Nette, Nanette Fabre always uh, conjures up a senior moment in me because when, when my daughter was first born that all those years ago in Los Angeles and we were walking through Trader Joe's in, in uh, Sherman Oaks with her, and this woman comes running up and she goes, oh, a baby. They're fresh from God. They have all the answers, but they forget by the time they can talk to us. And I immediately recognized it was Giselle McKenzie. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And so Giselle. Your hit parade. Yeah. So Giselle McKenzie reaches out to take my daughter. And, you know, my wife's a little concerned. I go, it's Giselle McKenzie. It's okay. She can hold her. And so she takes my daughter and is holding her and is going on and on about how she's got all the answers. And then the other day, fast forward 35 years and, and uh, Nanette Febre's obituary appears. And I 
call my daughter. And I go, oh, she took you for some reason... <laughs> I always, I always confused her with Giselle McKenzie. And I said, oh, you know, we were in Trader Joe's. I tell her the whole story. And Nanette Fabre held you. And uh, so my daughter sends that to my, my ex-wife. And my ex-wife says, well, the story is true, but he got the wrong person. <laughs> it was Giselle McKenzie. <laughs> and, oh, damn, senior moment. I said, well, they look alike. They don't actually look anything alike, but I, uh, no. no. Uh, Gis Giselle McKenzie had a nose, and Annette Fabray did. That's right. <laughs> They're both gone now, so we can make jokes about them. But actually, Giselle McKenzie was very sweet, and and she held my daughter. And my daughter, of course, had no clue she was being held by an old TV star. Wow, impressive! <laughs> uh, you know, since since you're up there in the PNW, the Pacific yes. Northwest, I I have to ask a question. This past weekend, did did you? Notice something unusual in the way that men were dressed. Um, I am not usually prone to noticing how men are dressed at all, and considering well, neither am I. Considering I'm... that I am not a uh, for, anyone who knows me will tell you I'm not exactly a fashion maven. So no, I didn't. Why? <laughs> how were men dressed? Well, here's the here's the thing. I, I so. I uh, was running a couple of errands, and uh, so two different places, well apart from each other, and I, I go to like a supermarket, and I, I go in, and there are a lot of guys in there, and they're all wearing like orange vests and camouflage gear and that sort of thing. They weren't packing. You can't pack now in supermarkets. They'll toss you right out. But, and that so, explains that, the produce that's, section. That's, <laughs> <laughs> right. And so so then I went to the next place, and as I pulled into this very crowded parking lot, there were little kids, I, I'm going to say three years old, and they're having a great time. They're running around chasing each other uh, in the uh, the parking lanes, and I kind of stopped and rolled down my window and said, hey, hey kids, you need to um, stay out of the, the road so you don't get hurt. And then I... Uh, pulled in and parked, and I suddenly was descended on by these three guys, ready for this, in orange vests and camo gear, uh, demanding to know, uh, or, de or saying, hey, you can't talk to my kids like that. And I said, well, I was just concerned. I didn't want the kids to get run down, particularly by me, because I'm, I'm an old guy, and you know how we are. <laughs> and uh, uh, Unfortunately, he didn't pick up on the thing, and he would have said, yeah, you're bitching. But... Uh, we have but to have anyway, cards printed, uh, and you can just hand somebody a card. It would explain a lot. Hopefully, get you out of situations like this. So anyway, I uh, mentioned the uh, the uh, camel gear and the orange vest to uh, another friend, and I said, because like, where is there to hunt anything in Vegas? You know, because it's desert. Unless you want to go out and, and hunt an occasional tortoise or a lizard or something. And the guy said, well, he had heard that people were making a statement that they uh, are gun owners. And I was just wondering if that happened up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, not that I am privy to. Um, I, you know, I, I've seen a lot of stuff on some of our community pages online and stuff. And, and there are, uh, you know, devout gun owners around here who don't want their rights taken away and all that. But I haven't seen anything visible. Yeah, I, I was just uh, just kind of curious. It was an interesting way to make a statement. Uh, not not that I necessarily agree with their statements, but uh, 
You, you know, no, but they're welcome to make it. But I, I want to ask you, for, for those guys who actually go out hunting turtles, <laughs> do they have to have armor-piercing bullets? Uh, no, they, they wear the, the Kevlar vests themselves in case the, the, the tortoises are armed and they retaliate. <laughs> there are attack turtles. Uh, they, I've seen them, yeah. yeah dangerous yeah. little suckers. So No, I, I mean, this whole thing has to uh, go away. Um, the guns have to miraculously disappear. We need Klaatu to come visit and just, you know, wave his arm and have them magically disappear. I think that's the only thing that will stop guns because there's now. Now you know, um, you're you're more of a Jerry Lewis knowledgeable person than I am. Oh, I, I kind of avoided him. I <laughs> I ran into him a couple of times. I had to have him thrown out of the desert in once, but. Um, you know, he made a movie called Visit to a Small Planet. Right. And I, I never saw that movie, so I don't know how close it adheres to the Gore Vidal play that it's based on. But the thing that happened in that was very much like uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still in that at one point the uh, the guy from outer space, played by Cyril Richard on Broadway, exactly. the guy from outer space um, caused all weapons to levitate in the air like 20 feet so you couldn't get to them huh and uh, did you happen to see the movie did they do that no i don't remember the uh, i i mean i know he made the movie but i don't recall ever seeing it now i i mean in, uh, let me just uh, uh clarify all righty i'm not a jerry lewis fan uh, I, I, yes, I can impersonate him, but I, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Dean, Dean, um, no, I, I liked him as a kid. And then uh, when I grew up and I knew people who knew him, uh, I lost all respect. And see, that's why I had him thrown out of the desert Inn because he, just uh, on principle, just w- he hadn't done anything, but no. you just didn't like him. <laughs> that, that's Throw it. That Absolutely. Man See, you, you see that man over there just bounce his butt out onto Las Vegas Boulevard. Now, actually, what had happened is uh, an elderly lady, she looked like she might have been close to 80. As he was storming through the casino, she just stepped up and said, Oh, Mr. Lewis, I'm a big fan. I just wanted to let you know how much I enjoy you. And he just went off on her, calling her the C word and all sorts of things. Oh. So I enlisted uh, Brendan, one of our large uh, security guards, to just escort him out. And I said, don't, don't even take him out where his uh, limo is. Take him out the front door. Put him on the sidewalk. Let him find the limo. Was, was he drunk or anything? Yeah. What, why, why did he? Uh, no. I mean. No, he wasn't. Uh, I, if you remember, if you recall that interview he did um, a, a few months before he died, um, there was some... It, oh, with Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, 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 where he just went, why? Why? The guy would ask a question, he'd go, why? Mm-hmm. You know, he just, he was so combative and so antagonistic to the reporter that, uh, you know, even people who don't like the media were siding with the reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, just, I I don't understand how you can act that way. Nor do I, but, you know, he did for years and years. Uh, People here, because the Jerry Lewis uh, um, muscular dystrophy telethon originated from Vegas for many, many years. And knowing as many Vegas entertainers as I do, uh, many of them, not all, but many of them told me, you know, how... Uh, disgusted they were with his uh, off-camera behavior 
And uh, one thing that I didn't know is that he was paid very well for that telethon. Mm. He always made you think that he was um, donating his services, but he was paid very well. And the other entertainers weren't paid at all. Now, from what I hear, now I never had the uh, uh, the good fortune of meeting Dean Martin, but I hear that he was a sweetheart. And that's what I hear. Now, I... Uh, I'll have to say I've never I never met Dean Martin. I know people who did. I know people who were on the show with him, but I did meet Dina Martin, mm-hmm. and that's his daughter. And she is right. she is a sweetheart. She is just absolutely lovely. Uh, do you remember uh, a well? Pretty much, she was just scenery, uh, but a, a performer named Inga Nielsen. Of course. Yes. Well, for years I knew Inga. We were really good friends. You can't. You can't be our age and not know him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, but anyway. Not personally. But <laughs> uh, she, uh, she gave me a couple of pictures of her and Dean together when, when she was on the show. And, of course, uh, you know, Dean being very slim, you had the impression that he might have been kind of tall, too. But he wasn't. He was like 5'8". Mm. And then, I thought he was taller than that. And then Inga at 6'1", just, uh, you know, dwarfs him. But uh, she said that the cool thing about Dane is that everybody else would rehearse and rehearse the director, who was it, Greg Garrison, I think. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Uh, he uh, made sure everybody was absolutely perfect. You never saw Dane at all until uh, camera rehearsal, dress rehearsal. Right. He showed up. Right. He was perfect, just letter perfect on everything. The stuff where, you know, you... You thought he might be a little tipsy. Wasn't tipsy at all. He was acting tipsy. Right. And she said he was just wonderfully funny, wonderfully pleasant, that he often walked her to her car because he was concerned, you know, of anybody running up to her outside. And he did that with uh, with several of the other women, including women on the crew. It wasn't just the, the beauties. I And I had heard that, that his whole drinking thing, it was just shtick. That's it. They had the same drink in his hand from the beginning of the night to the end mm-hmm. and never really drank it. And f- he, that he was really a teetotaler. Yeah. A, a friend of mine who was uh, uh, with Sinatra for a long time and, of course, was around Dean also said the same thing, that uh, if uh, you went over and you picked up his, uh, his cocktail glass, wherever it was, and took a sip, you were sipping apple juice. So, and and then also uh, one of the things that we did at the Desert Inn one, that you know I loved working there. You probably can't tell, but I loved working at the Desert Inn. Uh, we hosted the uh, premiere of the HBO movie The Rat Pack. Mm. So uh, Joe Montana played uh, Dean played Dean in that movie, really? and uh, and Joe was just as cool and laid back as Dean. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, now for those any young people who might be listening to this, explain the Rat Pack because I'm sure there are people who don't have probably heard the term but don't know who was in it. Okay, well, in fact, I'm going to jump back and we'll see how many people recognize these names. Uh, apparently, the term the Rat Pack was originated by Lauren Bacall. Oh, Betty Bacall. Because uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart, her husband, uh, there was a little age difference there of, what, about 30 years? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she she um, 
she was commenting because he had everybody over to play cards, uh, Sinatra and the, the group. I don't think Dean was there, but uh, she, she just said, you guys are just like a big rat pack. And the name stuck. <laughs> so that was Dean Martin, uh, Frank Sinatra, Joey Bishop, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, Peter Lawford. Yeah, that they and they were... Uh, they were the the uh, pivotal act in Vegas for a long time, weren't they? Uh, yeah, and um, uh, I don't know who wrote their material. They, you know, it was always claimed that they just made it up, but no, it, it was written. And I don't know. <laughs> in fact, on, on YouTube, uh, if you look up uh, Rat Pack performance and then put Johnny Carson with it, uh, Johnny Carson filled in for Peter Lawford once, and there is a You're nice kidding. a nice video of that. <laughs> so, oh, was that after Carson took over the Tonight Show? I believe so. I believe oh, he was I'd doing the to Tonight that. Show from New York. I would love to see that. Now, I went. I saw Sammy Davis uh, in person once. He was doing a show on Broadway called um, uh, Golden, Golden Boy. Golden Boy. Oh, Golden, yeah. Not Golden Rainbow. That was a totally different show. That was Golden Stephen Eady. That's right. And it was, uh, a Golden Boy was a, a, a remake or a musical version of an old movie with William Holden. Clifford Odette's Golden Boy. It made in the 30s, right. And uh, But this was a musical, and it was uh, more African-American oriented, and Sammy was the star. And Sammy was virtually in, I think, every scene in the show. He just, you know, he, 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 and it was a lot of dancing, a lot of physical stuff, boxing, singing, everything. And he's in the whole show. It was a Saturday matinee. And at the end, they come out and they take their curtain calls. And Sammy, of course, gets a standing ovation. And he stops the applause. And he goes, uh, do you, you people have some time? You know, no one knows what he's talking about. He says, yeah, you got a while before you have to catch your trains back to Long Island, right? And he, he, everybody laughs and he, yeah, applauds. He says, okay, let me just, uh, he, he says, I thought maybe I'd do a few more songs for you. And, uh, but let me send the kids off, the kids being the rest of the cast. He said, let me send them off because they have another show to do tonight. Well, he did too. But he dismissed the cast, and then he did like a 20-minute nightclub act. Wow. And then I went out after the show, and I went um, back to the stage door. I forget. I was trying to – I think I was asking him to do something, uh, like for a college paper or something. I don't know what the heck it was. Anyway, I went back to see him, and he comes out of the stage door, and there's a ton of people, and he stops to sign autographs for everybody. I have no idea if the evening show got off on time or if he had time to have dinner. But I said, this guy is a true old-time entertainer. It's like, you know, if there are people here, they deserve his time. Wow, that is fantastic. You know, uh, uh, I never, ever got a chance to see Sammy live. That's a regret I have. But... um, just uh, something kind of interesting that our listeners may or may not know, particularly since, you know, Sinatra's reputation veered from one guardrail to the other <laughs> as far as whether he was a good guy or a bad guy. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he, he would slug people <laughs> and that sort of thing. But as far as Vegas and Sammy went, uh, you know, 
back in the 1950s, Vegas was kind of known as the Mississippi of the West because it was highly, highly segregated. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, you know, wonderful talent like Sammy, uh, Nat King Cole, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, they performed on the casino, uh, in the casino showrooms, but then they were not allowed in the casino. They weren't allowed in the hotels. They, and they had to go out the back door. Uh, so uh, Frank just sort of laid down the law. If they wanted him to perform, then they wanted these people in their casinos and in their hotels. And he, uh, you know, Ralph Lamb was the sheriff then. He wanted to fight it. But the uh, guys on the strip who uh, ran the uh, casinos, you know, the the guys with the bent noses, they uh, uh, they said, no, no, uh, if that's what Frank wants, that's what Frank gets. So Frank desegregated the uh, Las Vegas Strip. You know, my my grandfather would do that during vaudeville. He would say, you know, if they can't stay in this hotel, I'm not staying here. But of course, he was not Frank Sinatra. Well, we're at the end of our time, and just so we can't stay just here. as we got to the bent noses, because I have a story about <laughs> bent noses. I don't know if I said it or not. There's our timer. We're out of time. Uh, this has been another. Old guys bitching. I'm Steve. I'm Byron. And we'll see you next time. Hey, if we don't run into a guy with a bad news.